context of John 6 is a very interesting passage. The Lord had preached a sermon on being the bread of heaven. And he talked about men eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And many of them were confused and they didn't understand what the Lord was trying to say. Questions and answers. Sometimes we have questions that arise in our minds and they often will make us pause and say, what does God want me to do in this situation or in that situation? We might ask the question, what is ethical behavior? What does it mean, for instance, to make moral decisions? How do I decide what is right versus what is wrong? And how do I decide in my own life what God wants me to do? Well, that's what our question and answer night is all about. I will tell you that God wants us to go back and ask the question, what has he taught for us? You know, for Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it and then you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I think that represents our society to so much today. God wants all of us to go back and pick up that book called the Bible that God has revealed to man through inspired men and say, what does God want me to do? Let's go back to that book. And yet we live in a world today that often says, we're not going to do that. Well, tonight, I only am going to address one question. I had three questions, and I began working on them. And by the time I got through with the first answer, I thought, y'all won't stay around for answers two and three. So I decided I would just make one lesson out of this. The question asked, can lying ever be justified to save another person? Are there degrees of sin... Or is sin, sin? Now, let me begin to try to answer this question. There are several aspects to the question. And I want you to think with me about what was asked. Is lying always wrong? Are there times when people lied in the Bible for seemingly a good purpose? Were they justified in doing that? Did God approve of that? Can there be a little white lie as opposed to a big black lie? And are there some sins that are justifiable to say it's all right to violate God's law if you're on this situation or that circumstance? Let me begin by pointing out the prevalence of lying in our generation. I'm talking about this time in our country, in this situation, for instance, we have politicians who lie all the time. They make promises and then they break those promises as if they didn't have to keep them anyway. There's often exaggerations. I will do this. I will do that. When they know full well they can't do those things themselves. And even there's all right, all together outright falsehoods. People say things they know is a lie and they speak it as anyway. Then the media. There was once upon a time when you turn on your television and you listen to Walter Cronkite and he just simply told you the news. 
Many of them have been exposed today for their fake news because they want to further their agenda. And so some of them have no problem deceiving the public for their own purposes. Sad to say, and I'm not leveling this at any of our educators, but I noticed that there is now an estimate of almost a half a million people in the United States who have lied about their credentials. That is, they say they have degrees. In fact, just recently there was a principal who was having their credentials checked and come to find out they had said they had a Ph.D. from a university that didn't even exist. You see what they were trying to do, and there's also been the scandal recently of teachers who would change test scores so that it would make their classroom look like they were doing much better than they were doing. But you also have to pick on religious people as well. It's just like in the days of Jeremiah, chapter 5, verse 31. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. Oh, that's interesting. Would there ever get a preacher on television and tell you that in order to be saved, you just say the sinner's prayer? But now where is the sinner's prayer found? Oh, it's not there. The sinner's prayer is not in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And even implication is it's not there. But you see, there are people who want it to be easy. What about the doctrine of one saved, always saved? There's many people abide and believe in that. But why do they do so? Because it gives them comfort to feel like all they have to do is Believe in Jesus, and now it's all assured without any obedience on my part. For just a few minutes, I think it's important to begin and just simply go through some of the Bible passages about lying. To begin with, Exodus 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You go to chapter 23, verse 7, keep yourself far from a false matter. In other words, you don't say anything wrong. Psalms 101, verse 7. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Psalm 7, 14. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. Psalm 52, 3. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. We find people who, that's the way they live their lives. But Solomon, above all the writers, seems to hit the nail on the head about lying. Proverbs six sixteen and following. There are six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, hearts that devise wicked plans, feet swift into running to mischief or evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord. Did you notice number two and number six both dealt with lying? Proverbs twelve twenty two: the lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. Chapter 13, verse 5, a righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Proverbs 14, verse 5, a faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness utters lies. 
Chapter 19, verse 5, a false witness will not go unpunished and he who speaks lies will not escape. Chapter 29, verse 12, if a ruler pays attention to lies, all of his servants become wicked. Do you think Solomon thought lying was acceptable? But our Lord in John 8 was dealing with people who said that they were children of Abraham. And God, through Jesus, said, No, you're not children of Abraham. In fact, you have a different father. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So if you're going to start talking about lying from the Bible, you're going to have to understand that you don't stand on God's side when you're doing that. You're standing on the devil's side. But you continue on Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Colossians 3, 9, do not lie to one another since... You have put off the old man with his deeds. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, knowing that the law was not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless, insubordinate, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy, for the profane, for murders of fathers, murders of mothers, manslayers, for sodomites, fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, for liars. I don't think I'd want to be found in company with those wicked things. And then one of the passages which I think should put fear in a liar's heart. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters. And most of the liars, no. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now... uh, If I haven't made my point by now, I don't think you're going to get it. Uh, The point is very simple. The Bible is very clear in plain Bible teaching that lying is sinful, lying is wrong. Somebody says, but what about? You know, those what about questions. There's always the perplexing ones. And I want to give you a few examples of some passages which have proven to be difficult for people. You go to Exodus chapter 1, you'll remember that there had arisen a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. There is now a new Pharaoh who doesn't respect the Jewish people whom have been brought to the land of Goshen, and now they have been treated very badly by this new king. He's afraid that they're going to rise up, and so there's been a command given that all the male children that are born to be killed. It says the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of one was Sifra and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but save the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing? And saved the male children alive. 
And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew mightily. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. Now here is a person who says, well, see right there, those midwives lied to Pharaoh because they were saving the children. No, they lied, maybe. We don't know that they fully lied because, first of all, there's two or three things that are important about this passage. Number one, two women midwives for what evidently was close to two to three million people. Now, I don't know if you can do the math, but if you start thinking about women having children, I don't think two women can deliver all the babies for two to three million uh, mothers. These are probably the heads of the midwives. But it's also possible that these midwives are delaying going to the Hebrew women until after they've given birth. Now, we don't know. Maybe they trusted in God's providence. What we do know is, is that they were praised because of what they did not because of what they said. And I'm going to bring that up in just a moment in our second illustration. If you go to Joshua chapter 2 and verses 4 through 6, you'll remember the children of Israel were marching around the city of Jericho. And there was a woman there who had taken the spies and brought them into her home, hid them. And when those who were looking for them came looking, she told them a lie. It says, the woman took the two men and hid them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out, and where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, that you may overtake them. But she brought them up on the roof and had hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. And James 2.25 refers to this by saying, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the spies or received the messengers and sent them out another way? Now, many people would say, Aha, now you know clearly that here she lied because she told them they were gone and that they were already outside the city, but in reality, she had them hidden. We're going to talk about Rahab's lie here in just a moment. Let me give you a couple, three more. Genesis chapter 12, verse 13, chapter 20, verse 2. Abraham went to, first of all, to Pharaoh, and um, he said that Sarah was his sister. The reason why he did that was because he was afraid that they would take and kill him. He said in verse 13, Please say that you're his sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you. And someone says, well... He lied to save his life. Chapter 20, before Abimelech and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. And the Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. Of course, Abimelech learned real quick from God that this is another man's wife. Like father, like son, because you come to chapter 26, verses 6 through 9 with Isaac and Rebekah. And again, you have Gerar and you have Abimelech. And what happens is you have... Here, Isaac saying, well, she's my sister. And he looks out and he sees the two of them in an embrace. And he said, you guys are married. You guys are together. 
So we ask the question, is it permissible to lie in order to preserve life? Does the Bible justify a lie here? Well, let me make some points. First of all, the Bible does not attempt to whitewash the failures of biblical characters. One of the principles of the Bible is very plain, and according to Ecclesiastes 7.20, there's not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin. You and I recognize that of ourselves, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every one of us. So why should I be surprised, whether it's Abraham or whether it's Rahab or whether it's the Hebrew midwives, that one of them may, at a time of weakness and a time of pressure, would give in and do something that they ought not to do. The fact that they are commended for an act of obedience or an act of faith does not justify everything else that they did. If that were true, to say that King David was a good man in so many ways and say, okay, well then everything David did was good and right, that would end up in justifying David's committing adultery. That justified David committing murder? And you'd say, well, that's not right. You see, you run into a problem if you start saying, well, it just depends on the situation. You get there in situation ethics. And the Bible does not approve of situation ethics. In fact, there's a passage which condemns situation ethics. A lot of people had accused Paul of that. He said in Romans 3 and verse 8, and why not say, let us do evil that good may come. Some people say, well, if you want to, just do evil. There's going to be some good benefit from it. He says, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm we say, their condemnation is just. Paul said, we don't do evil. That good may come. Now I want to bring up a thought that people need to put through their minds with regards to Rahab. Here's Rahab and the men who are looking for the spies come in. And she tells them a lie. Did she have another alternative? Somebody says, well, I don't know. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. What could Rahab have said? She could have looked at those men and she could have remained silent, not said anything. Or she could have said, search for them yourselves, trusting God to take care. You say, oh, there were some options to her. If she trusted in God, she could have just done a number of things without lying. Ah, you say, now I'm beginning to see. If I'm put in a situation where I don't want to provide the answer, or maybe in providing the answer, it's something that's going to be wrong, then I've got to choose the right thing. And that leads me to the second part of the question that was asked some pertinent principles on sin. What does the Bible teach about that? Are there degrees of sin? Only in the sense of accountability and accumulation. In other words, do I know what I'm doing? 
If I know what I'm doing, and then I'm really responsible for it. You remember what the Lord taught about the man who knew his master's will and did things worthy of stripes? He said he'll be beaten with many stripes. Or do you realize sometimes that people not only commit one sin, they commit two sins, they commit three sins, and you start thinking about the degrees of them. Do you remember David? David committed adultery. What did he try to do? He tried to cover it up. Proverbs 28 says that he who covers his sin will not prosper, but he who forsakes and confesses him will. And then he ended up murdering Uriah the Hittite. He ended up then marrying Bathsheba. You see, there's accumulation of sins. John 19, verse 11, Jesus said, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. All that means is some sins have a greater impact because they're the ones who are the ones pushing it. That doesn't mean that you don't have sin involved in this. Luke 7, verses 42 and 43. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which will love him the more? Simon answered and said, I suppose one whom he forgave more. And he said, you have rightly judged. We start talking about sins. Are some of us more sinners than others? Remember what Paul said about himself? He said, I am the chiefest of sinners. You'll start looking, I persecuted the church of God. Some of us may want to look at one sin and say, well, your sin's worse than my sin. You better be careful with that. Matthew 7 talked about a man who had a speck in his eye looking at a man who had a, a log and he has a beam and he said, let me fix that for you. But any sin, and I guess I need to repeat that, any sin can send a soul to hell. Because people had this idea, well, I can say I'll do right, do right, do right, and well, this is my pet sin, I guess I'll do that. James chapter 2, verse 10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. You're a lawbreaker. You're a sinner. And what does the Bible say about sin? The wages of sin is death. Romans 6 and verse 23. Well, when I start going to the Bible then, I can see there are times when God took the life of a sinner just like there were times when God did not take the life of a sinner. And God took the life of two liars, but he didn't take the life of Rahab and he didn't take the life of the midwives. And you said, well, why would he do that? Let's look at Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias was Sapphira's wife, sold a possession, kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it. And he brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourselves? And while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why then have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed 
his lash. You keep reading, a little while later, Sapphira comes in, uh, and she affirms the same thing. Same men who carried out Ananias also carried her out. And it says in verse 11, So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. I suggest to you, first of all, the lie was not to men, but the lie was to God. That's what Peter said. That's really getting very serious now. If you want to start talking about degrees of sin, it's bad enough to sin against your brother to against your neighbor, but when you start sinning against God and you start lying to God, that's a very serious matter. Number two, you have this as being a part of a public sin done in front of the church. And God wants to make it clear, lying in the church will not be tolerated. It's an important to ask, is my behavior acceptable to God? And you have to make sure that you have a good and an honest heart. Because if what's in your heart is good and honest, what comes out your mouth will also be honest. Matthew 15, verses 18 and following, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. You have lying words come out of your mouth where they started was in your heart to begin with. And that's the reason why Solomon would say, Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. You see, here's the bottom line with regards to the question. Honesty is not just the best policy. Honesty is the only policy for the child of God. And if you are honest with yourself right now, in your heart, and you're not a Christian, here's what you're going to do. You're going to say, I'm lost. Salvation is offered And if I'll believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, the Lord will add me to his body, the church, and I can be saved. If you're honest in your heart and you know there's sin in your life, you're going to say, I'm going to take care of it now. And we're going to sing the song, Zion's Call. If you need to respond, please come as together we stand and sing.